Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the laughter. <laughs> the heroes. Pick up your phone and call the professionals. Go Ghostbusters. And the honesty. What's up, Norm? My nipples. It's freezing out there. Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. And Brad in LA. And today we'll talk about the Rock Hall of Fame nominations and other fun music topics with our guest, the host of Sirius XM Volume and First Wave, Lori Majewski, who, by the way, has a lovely singing voice. Turn me loose. Turn me loose. It's a very pleasant alto, Steve. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Podcast Network. You can find our podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and the CLNS Media mobile app. And don't forget to listen to our podcast at the CLNS Media website. You can find it at clnsmedia.com. And as always, if you love the show, share the links on social media. And don't forget to like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Hey, 80s Nation, are you wondering why we opened the show with Pat Benatar? That's because Pat and her husband, Neil, are finally nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And if I had just one wish to make, just one, I'd love to tell her to play Shadows of the Night and Treat Me Right during their induction ceremony. We're also playing Pat because today's guest is a huge fan of her nomination as well. Uh, we welcome Lori Majewski on the show as our special guest. Yeah, and not just the podcast. She's going to be on the cruise with us, too. That's right. She'll be on the 80s cruise in March. It's sold out. But if you go to the website at www.the80scruise.com, you can still get on the wait list. But Lori is somebody that even before we knew she was coming on the cruise, I had asked her to be on the show. I think it was late last year. I said, hey, if you have time in 2020, we would just I'd just love to talk to you about you know, everything. <laughs> <laughs> All the things. Right. We'll start at A and we'll work our way through to, to Z. Right, right. Um, I've been a huge fan of hers ever since I read her book, uh, Mad World, An Oral History of New Wave Artists and Songs That Define the 80s. Yeah, it so is. Good. It is. It's, it's, it's like I told her, it's the Bible uh, that I kind of look at before I do an interview with anybody because I want to see what what she said about that person, what that person said to her, right. you know, get a feel for the artist, get to, you know, an understanding of what they're going to be like, what their stories are about. But these days, you can hear her, uh, I think it's pretty much every day, on SiriusXM Feedback, Channel 106. She hosts the morning show, so I listen to her on the way to work. But she also has a monthly show that she's going to talk about called Fierce Women in Music. And she also, for people who listen to the First Wave channel, Channel 33, she does a, f a regular feature called Lust for Lists, which I think is about an hour long, and it's usually a top 10 list based on some particular theme, some topical yeah. theme, Yep. which I, I would love for us to be able to do something like that, but <laughs> securing the musical rights would be expensive. 
Yeah, we're going to need a little bit. Uh, yeah, we need to work for someone that has that license already. Like, you know, SiriusXM. Hey, guys, we're available. Yeah. Call my agent. Her name is Katie. Either that or we're going to have to sell a whole lot of blue chew pills. So. Yeah, yeah. I only have two kidneys, so that's not really sustainable. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Can only sell one of those. Anyway, so sit back and enjoy our, my conversation with our friend Lori Majewski. Hey, first of all, let me um, say happy anniversary to you in Serious Volume. Today is your uh, third anniversary, right? Yes. I can't believe it's been three years already. It's, it's gone by so quick. When, when you first heard about the idea of doing it, were you at all skeptical on the idea of an all-talk station? No. No. I mean, let's see. So it's 2016. It was the summer of 2016 when I was approached about it, and at that point, we were in the middle of a presidential race, and everyone was listening to lots of political talk radio. I'm a longtime sports fan, so I've listened to lots of sports radio over the years. And having worked in a record store, I was like, this is a no-brainer. This is like <laughs> high fidelity on the radio. It was just it just totally made sense and it was insane to me it had never been done before. What did uh, listening to all that sports radio do to help you kind of prepare for the job? Um it helped me realize that there was going to be a lot of opinions flying to and fro that people were going to be fast and loose with them because you know people love their sports teams but I I dare to say I think people love their favorite music groups even more there's something about music that seeps into not just your pores but your heart your soul everything and you know it's it's like your favorite sports team is your favorite sports team but your favorite music is a part of you you know, so people take it personally when you slight their favorite band or people, people, you know, defend, you know, their favorite guitar player like they would defend their mother. <laughs> so <laughs> it can get pretty conten contentious, especially when we talk about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And um, for the past three years, we have announced the nominees for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame classes and also the um, people who get in. Uh, so we just did that two days ago, actually, the class of 2020. And um, people have been fighting over it online ever since. <laughs> online, in person, <laughs> on our shows. I was listening to the show the morning that you made the announcement, and that was the first time I was like, oh, my God, I forgot that was today. I'm exhausted. Three days later, I'm exhausted. Yeah, you've got to be so tired of talking about it, yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> you know, I is, I'm as into talking about it as anyone else. I have been crashing, had been crashing, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame since the very first year in the mid-'80s. Um, I sat on the sidewalk outside the – Waldorf Astoria. I've sat at the bar with Don Henley. Um, I knew from year one that this was a game changer and it was a way to really honor those we love. But the thing is in year one, two, three, four, five, when you're inducting Elvis Presley and Chuck Berry and Aretha Franklin and the Beatles, no one is contesting that. You know, that's the very bedrock of modern day music. But Nowadays, there's been so many years 
so many musicians, so many bands, so many that are worthy. I dare say so many that aren't worthy and um, only five to seven slots a year. So it gets really, really tough. And as an 80s music fan, I get really angry because I feel like we, our time is not respected. Our, you know, that 10 years because MTV starts in 1981. And I feel like ever since video came and killed the radio star, um, those old school FM radio, album rock radio people will not let us forget it. On the radio, obviously, your your enthusiasm for Pat Benatar's inclusion was, you know, completely obvious. I mean, you, to, to you, was that like is that like the headline of this of of this particular class? Yes, I think if there is someone who is a shoe in this year, oh, fingers crossed, it's Pat. Um, long overdue for a nomination. And, you know, there's 16 nominees and 2.5 of them are women. That is just not good enough, especially coming off of Janet Jackson last year, throwing down the gauntlet and saying uh, during her speech when she was being inducted, she said, induct more women. Well, when 2.6 of 16 are women and uh, sorry, 2.5 um, out of 16 are women. And that 0.5 is Shaka Khan, Rufus with Shaka Khan, not Shaka right. Khan alone. Um, that's, that just, that's not right. And Pat Benatar, to me, she's starts in the seventies. She comes through in the eighties, but she is unbelievably consistent hit after hit after hit, but she's a rock star at a time when there weren't that many women rock stars. And if you watch her, she was super duper balls to the wall, take no crap, super empowering in her music. But she has a mystique. She doesn't do a ton of interviews. She is someone who over the years like hasn't really been big mouthed outside of her music. And I think that's one of the things. If you're not out there every day going, put me in the rock hall, like, you know, Yes or Rush. There were a lot of bands over the years that said, we, it's, we're overdue. What journey? You know, they, Def Leppard. Why aren't we in? Bon Jovi, maybe loudest of all. Pat Benatar's just been quietly doing what she does. And um, I'm so glad that finally, finally, we're, we're, honoring her. Now let's just get her in. Um, we will be announcing on SiriusXM volume on my show feedback, which is the morning show. Um, in early January, we'll be announcing who actually gets in the rock hall. Right. So Pat Benatar, Whitney Houston, two obvious eighties icons. I would, I would think that they're probably both. I would say Pat Benatar is probably a, a, a gimme, Whitney Houston, maybe 50, 50, 40, 60, maybe. There might be people who sort of – the people who always squawk about, you know, so-and-so's not rock. And they they kind of miss the big picture that rock's not really – I mean, rock is a huge umbrella. Well, you heard what I said on air the other day. Is Marvin Gaye in? Yes. Does anyone have a problem with Marvin Gaye in? No. As Alan Light said, are the Supremes in? Yes. Does anyone have a problem with the Supremes? No, of course not. Well, then why would you have a problem with Whitney Houston? Um, 
arguably the greatest voice of her of all time, if just especially her generation. And, you know, she didn't write her own songs. Neither did Aretha Franklin wrote some of her own songs, but not some of her biggest songs. That's not what it's about. You know, I keep saying rock and roll, a rock star. It's an intangible thing. You know it when you see it. It's charisma. It's excellence. It's influence. But, you know, why, why does it have to be drums and a guitar and bass and vocals? Why does, and, and most of all, why does it have to be male? So that's, that's where we're at. Given the rest of the decade, then, who, what other female artists from the 80s do you think need to be in there or need to be go in the- Go-Go's. Where are the Go-Go's? <laughs> this has been pissing me off, and I'm at an all-time pissed off right now because of the Go-Go's. They are coming off of having had a musical on Broadway. How many artists get that, okay? They had a musical, all Go-Go songs. Um, they have a Showtime documentary that's coming out. They were the first all-female band to have a number one album, and it remained there for weeks. They've had a ton of hits. Um, they also were a punk band that went pop. So they started in the 70s. They transitioned in the 80s. And their influence is, I mean, I, I went to see um, a little, a special show that they played at, um, kind of like a thank you to all the investors of the musical, um, which was called Head Over Heels. And the audience was probably about 70% women. And every girl in the audience, now woman, 40s, 50s, knew every single word. And we sang with our eyes closed. And to me, Pat Benatar and the Go-Go's we, I didn't grow up bitching about women. Am I allowed to curse? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you want to Yeah, okay. of course. I didn't grow up bitching about it, you know, there not being equality because people like the Go Go's and Pat Benatar and Joan Jett, you know, they showed me that women rock as hard as the guys, you know? I, so to me, why don't they go in these firsts? I mean, the runaways. Jet, Joan Jett already is in. Pat Benatar, second video ever played on MTV. We always talk talk about video killed the radio star. Well, what came next? A Pat Benatar video. You know, what about the Go-Go's? They solidified, you know, for me in my head, why I needed to watch MTV all day, every day. So the fact that the Go-Go's aren't nominated and somebody said to me, oh, well, we couldn't put the Go-Go's on um, because what if people voted for the Go-Go's or Pat Benatar and it split the vote and they didn't, neither of them went in. And I went, hold on a minute. Are you saying they're the same artist? Just because they're women, they're the same type of art. No, they're as different as night and day. You know, we don't say, oh, well, don't put Thin Lizzy and, you know, um, Judas Priest on or don't put Judas Priest and Iron Maiden on. You know, it's it. There's there's this double standard that's so yeah. gross, and that's I, I joined Volume to talk about music, and I realized I actually have a higher calling, <laughs> and it's kind <laughs> of to let people know that like women rock too. Here's the question I have: the, probably the last question I have about the Rock Hall, and it's 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 burning me up. How do we live in a world where the Dave Matthews Band is nominated oh. before Duran Duran? 
<sighs> How long is this this interview? <laughs> but I'm just- I am so grossed out. Here's the thing. Dave Matthews Band, perfectly nice band. Lots of people like them, okay? Right. Um, Doobie Brothers, same. But I think there's more to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame than you've had a bunch of hits and people listen. If we start like letting Yacht Rock in, are we diluting what rock and roll is? Rock and roll to me is danger. Is there any danger to the Doobies? Is there any danger to, you know, to Dave Matthews Band? No. You know, it's perfectly fine. Is it Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? No. Duran Duran, okay, the fact that Simon Le Bon almost died to bring us the Wild Boys video when the windmill stopped and he underwater and he almost drowned. Oh, and he almost drowned when he was on a round-the-world yacht race. You right. know, they they sold over 100 million records. They pretty much are the most iconic music video band of all time. When you think about it, if Duran Duran didn't make those James Bondian videos, would Michael Jackson have come in and made the Thriller videos? Duran Duran set the gold standard and many others followed. I'm not saying Michael Jackson wouldn't have made the Thriller album. I'm saying those videos that Duran video. Duran yeah. made kind of led to Michael Jackson making the videos that he did and he made history. And right. that's how he came the became the king of pop too, right? So yeah. Duran Duran, keep going. I mean, they married punk and rock with modern the modern sound at the time of synthesizer. People say, oh, they're a new wave band. And yes, they're in my new wave book, Mad World. But they're not your prototypical new wave band. They are a rock band. And just because they have good looking members and lots of girls screamed over them doesn't matter. If Duran Duran looked like Dave Matthews, they might be in already. But that's the problem, is that they have been begrudged. You know, I, I adopted the best-looking kitten of all time. And my husband said, you know, I said, I don't know. Maybe I should get one, you know, with, with no tail or one eye. And my husband said, don't hold that cat kitten's good looks against him. Well, that's what everyone's doing to Duran Duran. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and by the way, it's been 40-something years, still going. Their last album debuted in the top 10. They work with Nile Rodgers, Mark Ronson. Mark Ronson just won an Oscar and would say that Duran Duran is one of his greatest influences. When the kid was in grammar school, he was in a Duran Duran cover band. <laughs> I could go on and on and on. But somebody wants... A band that with a guy named Dave Matthews. By the way, most boring name for a band ever. <laughs> Dave Matthews Band? And the guy barely wears shoes, and you want to put him in the stylish rock and roll hall of fame. I'm flummoxed. There's no chance they get in, right? I mean, please tell me that. No. Well, are you kidding? Of course <sighs> there's every chance that they get in. There's every it's chance that they get in. You know, and that's not to say that they don't make some decent music, no. but is it exciting? Did they make the best Bond theme of all time? Did they make a Bond theme? <laughs> no. To me, rock and roll is more, to quote John Taylor, music is more than 12 inches yeah. of plastic. You want to make good music? That's great. You want to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? 
that's something different. You you mentioned your book Mad World, and I have to say it to me it's one it's sort of like the Encyclopedia Britannica. Uh, when I prep for interviews, I always go to your book first oh, to see. Thank you, because I want to see. Did, that means a lot. I, I think a lot of people feel that way. You go there. Well, I go there, and I go. I, I know she talked to to this person, so I want to read what he said to her first. I want I want to get a feel for his personality, and it comes through in that book. Oh, that means so much to me because going back to what we just said, I feel like the 80s get slighted. And my book is really, first of all, it's our book, my best friend, Jonathan Bernstein, and I, um, he and I both work at, worked at Spin Magazine together. Right. He is from, he's from Scotland and grew up reading The Enemy and Smash Hits. I, I grew up here reading Star Hits. And the book is really like punk, post-punk, like 77, 78 starting, you know, with like early OMD and early human, human league. And it's our thought that we wanted to end this book on live aid. Um, and I think that the reason we wanted to do this book was that we felt that no, everyone was doing books about grunge and we're like, what did you leapfrog right over the golden age of pop? You know? So now, I mean, people have said to me that our book helped to bring some credibility um, to this era, and also some people like Tom, Tom, uh, Tom Bailey from the Thompson Twins out of retirement. Right. I mean, when we tracked him down, he had no plans to come back, and we talked to him about it. And we're like, people miss you. Yeah, you know, you need to restore the legacy that is the Thompson Twins. Some bands were kind of getting forgotten. Thompson Twins were one of them. In Excess was another one of them. Huge bands were, were getting forgotten. And I'm excited that Tom has been touring again. He, he did the 80s cruise just a couple of years ago, right? He did, yep. Love him. And um, I just talked to Tim Ferriss from In Excess on our show yesterday. And we had a tearful conversation. Um, he, live, baby, live, new In Excess uh, movie that's going into the theaters and there's the mystify movie about Michael Hutchins is out as well. And hopefully this will restore some of like the shine to these groups. Oh my God. In excess was huge. So yeah, that was yeah. the point of the book, but most of all, it was also to have a laugh and Jonathan and I, we had so much fun doing this. I mean, getting, Lamal on the phone. I just it was it was a joy, a, a joy. I talked to Tom uh, Bailey right before he did the he made, right before he started coming back. He was going to do the retro for tour tour, which is yeah. the hardest tour to ever pronounce. I know, and, and I was there the night that he stepped out on that stage. He was terrified. Was he? He mm -hmm. sounded great during the interview, and I asked him, I said, how do you remember these songs that you haven't played in, in 30 years? And he said, to be honest, he had to go out and buy a Greatest Hits CD and play it again. Oh, you are kidding me. Uh-uh. Nope. That's genius. Yep. It's wow. my favorite, one of my favorite moments in interviewing anybody. In 14 years of doing interviews for Stuck in the 80s, him telling me that was, was one of the most interesting moments, I think. <laughs> it is. He's a regular guy. Yeah. That's what I love about him. He's he's a regular guy. I mean, wasn't he um, working at a university like when we tracked him down? Um, and what I love about Volume is I, I get to bring these people back. It's kind of like my favorite magazine, Star Hits. It's like I'm working at Star Hits, but like years later, you know, Tom performed live on our show. 
and kind of the 80s cruise is that too. If you get to go on this 80s cruise, if, if you sign up to do this, I mean, it's like making all your star hits dreams come true. Right. You get to in small venues and you get to mix with these guys. It's amazing. So let's talk about the 80s cruise for a minute. You're going to be there on the 2020 trip. It'll be your first 80s cruise. Oh, yes. And my first cruise. Oh, no. Um, I once went to the North Pole with a bunch of musicians on a Russian icebreaker, but I would hardly call that a cruise. <laughs> um, it was we, – we were going to the, the front line of, of, of climate change. It was Lori Anderson, who is Lou Reed's widow. Sure, yeah. Of course, you know her. She, she had a few hits of her own. And, of course. Um, Vanessa Carlton and Feist, Jarvis Cocker. It was really amazing, but it was uh, it was a science. We we brought scientists, and the point was science was, and it was a it was roughing it. It was not anything like a cruise. And from what I hear about the eighties cruise, there's a rock climbing wall. <laughs> <laughs> they may have to there's declare a- that off limits. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I mean, it sounds so fun, but yeah. I'm I'm afraid of open water, um, and so I've always thought I don't think I'll ever do a cruise. But Mark Goodman, he was like, "You need to do this." Alan Hunter told me that he and his wife said the same thing that they would never ever go on a cruise. Like it's just not their like they would never do it for a vacation. And they're like, we were wrong. This is can't miss. (laughs) So when the opportunity arose, I was like, you know, there are worse things than a week with Mark and Alan and Nina and Larry the Duck and, and and the motels and Berlin and I just B52s I'm friends with Sterling Campbell and I can't wait to see him this could be fun but oh my god just show me where the lifeboats are okay you're going to do that for me Steven please <laughs> there's a special like uh VIP lifeboat drill that you do on the first day <laughs> oh. and it's it's one of the most surreal moments for me because all the bands and, and the band's guests are all in this one room together. So you're looking and there's there are the VJs and there's Berlin and there's over there there's you know big country and over there there's every every band you've ever grew, you've grown up listening to and you're all sitting there watching a lifeboat video and oh my god just remember there was enough room for Jack to get on that piece of metal and Rose <laughs> should have let him. Yeah. So keep that in mind. Yeah. You're, you're gonna have a great time. It. It. Uh, this will be my fifth one. I've been on every one. Fifth. Yeah. I. I host the trivia. You know what? I really wanted to go when OMD was on. OMD oh, is so one good. of my favorite favorite bands. Um, Andy McCluskey just filled in for me when I was on vacation for my first wave show, Luster Lists, and it was the first time I ever allowed that to happen. But he is one of my absolute heroes. So I was happy to do it. They seemed to have a great time on board. They were talking to everybody. They took photos with everybody. It was the first time I got a chance to see him. I I think I'd had tickets to him like four times before and something always popped up that made me have to cancel. But on this ship, I'm like, I I don't care what happens. I don't care if I have to miss meals. I'm going to see OMD. Yes. Yes. Are there any bands that are playing that you haven't had a chance to talk to that you're looking forward to meeting or looking forward to seeing perform? You know, I've never met Martha from the motels. So 
I'm surprised that that hasn't happened yet, but I am very much looking forward to that. Remind me of some of the people on it. So headliners are B-52s. Um, you'll have Loverboy, Berlin. They've both been on it before. Berlin is kind of like the... Um, the perennial. Yeah, they're, they're always there. And they're sort of almost the ambassadors in a way. And I see. love Terry Nunn with all of my heart. Oh, she was almost... She was up for Princess Leia, um, the role of Princess Leia, sure, and yeah. she had an affair with Michael Hutchins. In my book, <laughs> that is something to aspire to, being Terry Nunn. Yeah. And that's her real name. Come on. Yeah, I know. Why would she change it? So, yeah, it's going to be fun. The, um, so here are the, some of the other names. Brett Michaels will be there. Uh, Patty Smythe and Scandal will be there. Yes, yes. And hopefully she'll be bringing John McEnroe with her. We'll see. Yes. Isn't Grandmaster Flash coming? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, his q and A. I, he, he did a Q&A this year that he was on the ship. Mark interviewed him, and it was fantastic. It was just everybody was glued to every word that came out of his mouth. Wow. So that was actually one of the more surreal moments for me this last cruise. Is I got to, we, Stuck in the 80s had its 500th episode while we were on the ship and we got to interview Mark, Nina and Alan together on stage in front of a live audience. Wow. That was uh, a little great. Yeah, they are like brothers and sisters. You mentioned lover boy before and there's, I kind of think they're underrated. Talk about early MTV. I mean, they had so many hits. I think that they may be the sneak attack of this eighties cruise. I think that people aren't thinking of them. And then they're going to just like blow you away with song right. after song after song after song, you know? Oh, yeah. They'll, they'll play 90 Turn minutes and there won't be loose. one. Yeah. Turn me loose. Yeah. There won't be one song that people won't recognize from them. No. Uh, Tony Hadley from Spando Ballet. Oh, that's who I'm waiting to see. I love Tony. I love Tony so much. <laughs> and I think that he, people aren't going to, believe like how much of a regular guy he is you know he's got this sinatra like types like croon but then he also has a brewery in the uk and he loves to drink so i can just see him hanging out with us and and in his band is simon williscroft and simon williscroft is also in duran duran so i'll be hanging out with him too simon is the um sax player and Duran Duran. Oh, that's and right. The little trivia for you: When Tony Hadley first went solo on his solo album, he covered "Save a Prayer." So maybe we'll get that on the cruise. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah, that'd be really nice. And then it goes. Uh, you have um, Midnight Star, so we get to hear Freakazoid live. That'll I'll be a be moment. I'll be a Freakazoid. <laughs> Come on and wind me up. It's tough. The, the, the hardest thing about the cruise is it, there's literally three things going on in every in any given hour, and you've got to make choices. Oh, the jets. The oh, yeah, jets. Yeah. You've got it all, all over him. And there's like seven of them. I, they're brothers and sisters. I wonder if they'll all be there. I, I know the crush on you dance. Maybe I'll get to do that. Oh, I've geez. got a crush on you. <laughs> This will, this will be a different one. This is the, the first four were on smaller ships, and they only had about ten artists. I think this is this ship is about fifty percent bigger and has sixteen or seventeen bands. So I hope you're not really counting on it as being a vacation because it's not really one. 
What do you, by that you mean you just always sing music? You you are always you're always doing something. You're either racing to a show or a Q and A or a meet and greet, or uh, I think one year Mickey Thomas had a cooking demonstration, or uh, Terry Nunn will be hosting. around and fell in love. <laughs> love Mickey Thomas. I interviewed Corey Feldman the other day. Talk about eighties, and he told me that he's collaborating with Mickey Thomas on a new song. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's not a remake of The Goonies. Okay. You get t- Tony Corey Feldman is one of those things... kind of weird ones. Oh, he is so weird. You should go and listen to that interview on demand. Okay. It, people say like it, it's like it was exhausting cuz he's just he oh, I can't even. But I loved him. I loved him. So I wonder maybe we need to get some of these people one of these days for this 80s cruise cuz like People love their, like, 80s, like, characters, you know? Oh, yeah. But I also – one of the things I've heard about the 80s cruise that's really fun is the costume contest, the trivia cost- contest, the way people decorate their doors. Yep. Like, it sounds to me like summer camp, but as adults on the water. <laughs> with alcohol, yeah. That's – you've, you've oh, got it. Oh, <laughs> boy. I don't think it's that bad with the alcohol. I. I've got too many no, things to I do. No, I mean, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. No, you you pretty much nailed. It. In fact, in fact, if I, I think you actually might be serving as one of the judges for the costume contest, along with me and my co-host and Larry. I have an idea for the costume I'm, I want to wear. It may take me a minute to figure it out, but um, can we get dressed up too? Oh, of course. Yeah, sure. Oh, my God. I love Larry the Duck, by the way. He is such a gentleman. He is one of the nicest, almost you can't, like, too good to be true kind of human beings. So it's going to be wonderful to spend some time with my first wave friend on on the seas. I think you'll love him in person. Oh, yeah. We, we had a great t- chat. Um, now, are you going to be doing any any broadcasting on during the cruise for SiriusXM or taping any interviews that you might use later? Yeah, I think so. And um, I hope to talk to some of the cruisers, the passengers as well. Cool, cool. Maybe we'll do some, like, I do that first wave show, um, Lust for Lists, you know? Maybe love we'll it. do a live Lust for Lists. Oh, that'd be yeah. great. I love that. That's one of my favorite features. I love it when you had your oh, husband on the cool. show. When you had your husband on it for the Valentine's show, was that this year or last year? Yeah, it was. A, yeah, it was a couple years ago, and... He was so nervous, and he actually – he was really lovely, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He loves the 80s as much as I do, and he'll be on the cruise too. Oh, fantastic. So you'll get to meet him. Tell me more about this new show you're doing called Fierce. So Fierce Women in Music is a monthly show on volume. In fact, uh, today debuted a new episode with Debbie Harry, and it's basically an hour-long show – that I sit down with um, women in music, a lot of icons. We've had Ann Wilson, Joan Jett, Annie Lennox, um, and Tanya Tucker. Like I said, Debbie Harry, Diane Warren, 10-time um, Oscar nominee for She's a Songwriter, Shirley Manson. Um, we've had a couple of stars in the making like King Princess and Charlie XCX who loves the eighties herself. Um, and basically it's a different conversation when a woman sits down to talk to another woman. And I didn't realize that 
but apparently radio, there's so many men in radio that when a lot of these women artists sit down, you know, I'm not saying that it just has to be all like bra burning crap. It's, it's just, it's different women when a woman talks to another woman. And, um, I'm really proud of the shows that we've put together. I mean, I've totally cried while talking with Annie Lennox and she talked about what it was like to perform with David Bowie, uh, standing in for Freddie Mercury. She sang under pressure with David Bowie and she said she had to give the performance of her life and she, she knew she would and, and she had to rise to that occasion. And, um, you know, just talking with Debbie Harry for this episode, we talk about some heavy stuff. Uh, we talk about her surviving basically serial killer Ted Bundy who tried to kidnap her. So some, some crazy stuff, but, ah, like I love everything that I do at volume, but this has been a true gift, a true gift. And that's why when I said Martha from the motels, I've wanted to talk to her for a while. So maybe we'll have some mini fierces on board the eighties cruise ship. And all of those, by the way, if you missed those, if you missed, you missed any of these fierce women in music episodes that I was just talking about, they're all available on demand at SiriusXM.com or the app. Hey, thanks for your time today. This has been an amazing chat. Oh, I'm so glad. If, if you need anything else, you let me know. I didn't even feel like we were doing an interview. I felt like we were kind of just hanging out. And <laughs> I look forward to doing just that when we uh, get on board. There you go. Lori Majewski from SiriusXM. I really enjoyed that. That was a fun chat. Oh, yeah. She's great. And I'm looking forward to meeting her on the cruise and introducing her. She might be surprised to find out that you have a co-host since you never mentioned me. I, I, it's funny. <laughs> now, okay. You heard <laughs> You heard the 33 minutes that, that, I, that I edited down for you and, and, and 80s Nation, but... She and I talked for another ten or fifteen minutes, and yes, we, I did mention you. So don't don't be my, like that, my Brad. My engineering lackey, Brad, will be carrying my bags. No, I mean, I told her, I said, you know, me and Brad, you know, do the podcast, yeah. and we will be the trivia hosts, and you know, I host the trivia. That's all I heard. I host the trivia. Well, I hope you have uh, a good time, Steve. I'll be on the Lido deck. No, I swear to God, all that was discussed. <laughs> I would never I would never do a Sean Daly on you, I promise. <laughs> anyway, I thought it was fun. I, I knew I knew I wanted to have her on the show this week because the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nomination. Oh yeah, great timing. Out. Yeah, yeah. And she obviously had some thoughts there. And and, <laughs> she, and cogent and pertinent ones at that. Right. Like we the interview was recorded three days after the announcement was made. It was recorded on the day that Sirius uh, XM volume did have its third anniversary, which is kind of cool. cool. And I, she'd had three days to really form her opinion, <laughs> and, she, and opinions she had. The concrete had set. I will say, I just want to make one, well, just one tiny little quibble with something that she said she was talking okay. about. Like, if we're going to let yacht rock in, then you know, maybe you know, rock and roll is about risk. And I'm like, okay, well, you can't say rock and roll is about risk, and only those people should be in the Hall of Fame, and then at the same time be stumping for Whitney Houston. What risks did Whitney Houston take other than taking a lot of illegal street drugs? <laughs> I mean, 
I, I, you just can't have it both ways. I, I, I get it. I understand where she's coming from, but that she needs to tighten that argument up. I'll, we'll talk about that on the cruise. Yeah, though. yeah. I, well, you know, I think one of the interesting things is, and it, it, this comes up every year, the whole definition of who belongs in the Rock Hall of Fame. Like, what does the term rock mean? What, is the, what right. does the hall mean? What, who should be included? Who should not be included? And I, 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 always, I always tend to, to, to veer towards the argument that, hey, it's a pretty large umbrella that covers – a lot of genres, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I agree with that. I agree. So, with that. so I don't have a problem with Whitney Houston or ABBA. Oh, but, me either. But, but if you do make the argument that rock and roll is about danger and it's about risk, then I would want you to explain how ABBA and Whitney Houston, you know, demonstrated yeah. risk and danger. So. So yeah, uh oh, uh, the water was room temperature in my in my green room. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, that doesn't doesn't but, quite but, uh, reach the standard we're looking for here. That all being said, I laughed myself silly when she she went to town on Dave Matthews. Oh I mean, yeah, that was funny. <laughs> that was funny. And and uh, you know what? I, I'm right there with her. How is it possible that Duran Duran, who is still touring, still turning out interesting music? Like like what did they who did they piss off at Rolling Stone? Did they steal Jan Wenner's girlfriend or something? I really believe if, if, if she and I could have talked about this and you and I have talked about this for a long time and I'm starting to I think the picture and the focus is becoming more and more clear. I really wonder about the MTV factor like bands that that sort of made their reputation using MTV did it hurt their cause? Now you could argue. You could certainly argue that Duran Duran was made themselves with with MTV, but that same argument could be made on Madonna. I don't think anybody would have heard of Madonna if it wasn't for yeah. MTV. So you well, can't, and it's not like all they were were Flash. You know, I, I think right. they've proven that they're they actually you know bring some musicianship and some interesting things to the table beyond just being pretty boys. Right, and and. Could there be some sort of bizarre backstory as why Duran Duran does not make it? I'm sure there could be. It is the music business, and you know the day will come. I swear, when we'll, we'll probably we might be in our deathbeds, but we will find out the answer to this uh, <laughs> great injustice. Uh, but in the meantime, it would be an injustice if we didn't do the, the seggies. Hey, it's time to do uh, Please Please Tell Me Now. This is the seggy where somebody writes in with an interesting question, uh, and then I show it to Brad 20 seconds before we record, <laughs> and he has that exact amount of time to figure out an answer. It's it's not quite that bad, but it sometimes is that bad. Sometimes it is, but more often than not, it's like, oh, that's a great question. Let me answer this one instead. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, Brad, why don't you take over the honors? Ah, very good. Joseph Hogger write us this week. Dear 80s gurus, I was listening to the Rick Ocasek Memorial Podcast, and I recalled my regret in never being able to see the Cars live. A shame, as Heartbeat City was my favorite album for probably a year. In the late 90s, though, a friend from work received the opportunity to have his band open for Benjamin Orr at a small hotel resort in western Pennsylvania. My friend drafted us to be his roadies for the evening, and so a newspaper managing editor and city editor wound up loading and unloading the van. Ah, the glamorous rock and roll lifestyle. <laughs> the few times I saw Orr backstage, he had a constant f*** my life look on his face, and I wondered whether he had been considering all the life choices that had returned him to the point of playing for a couple hundred people. 
This also made me remember seeing Molly Hatchet in a miniature version of Bob's Country Bunker in the woods out in the middle of nowhere, as well as Quiet Riot in a bar that used to be the basement of a department store. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds amazing. This leads me to my PPTMN question. What is the worst venue in which you've seen a once great musical act, and how much did it make you cringe to see the decline from arena to dive bar? Thanks for keeping my memories of the best decade from becoming hazy. Regards, Joseph Hogger, rhymes with lager, Terra Alta, West Virginia. <laughs> I love when people give us pronunciation guides. It's it really helpful. does help, it's actually. Because I would never have said uh, Hogger. I would have said... Hoger. 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 Uh, from Paris. <clears throat> um, that's a good question. I, I, I've been thinking about this. I, I saw – now, I know Jonathan Richmond's not really a big name, and he never played arenas. But I did, I think, see him play one time in a pottery uh, shop in Gainesville. <laughs> oh, jeez. Like, Was there a puppet show? Uh, <laughs> no. But, but, but I, so – so I'm going to throw that out as, as as not being a good one. And I saw I saw Mojo Nixon play at this little tiny club in downtown St. Pete. But you know I, I don't again not an arena star. Yeah, so I would sure. have to say that. Um, but still, I was like I felt bad for them. Um, but I saw Air Supply uh, about ten years ago in an Ebor City bar. Uh, Ebor City is the Latin quarter of Tampa. Okay, the, the historic Latin district. Okay. And the, it was a bar called the Masquerade, and it, I think they had like plastic, the plastic seats that you buy like at Target for like three dollars yeah, like each, kind of kind of flexy, kind of. <laughs> yeah, the whole floor was lined up with the little flexy seats with little pieces of masking tape on it to to show what your seat number was. Oh, jeez! <laughs> <laughs> and there couldn't have been more than, you know. A couple hundred people there. I mean, it was yeah. full. Don't get me wrong; it was sold out. But it was a tiny and, venue. And I and I got to go backstage afterwards and talk to them, and they were they were real super nice guys, the nicest guys you ever want to meet. Yeah. But they were very very curious about what part of town they were in. <laughs> like, <laughs> so they I booked kinda, us where? <laughs> so, it probably this the single only time that Air Supply will ever play at a a bar that was probably more known for its for its goth concerts back uh, funny. back in the day so what was your pick brad i you know i really couldn't think of one to be honest uh but i do have this story about seeing devo which i don't think i've told this on the show maybe i have so in the mid 90s i worked on a project for um then at the time uh, ziff davis was launching a television station ziff davis tv um which started with uh they had a show that was on msnbc when it first came out called the site which was like computer topics every night and they decided oh this is going so well we'll launch our whole network back when everyone was launching networks right so we did a lot of the work on the technical systems for that and i found out through the grapevine that devo was playing their launch party <clears throat> so i basically convinced my bosses that we had been invited to this party and uh you know, went up and saw it and went up to the, the launch party. And it was just, it was so weird. It's either the most Devo or the least Devo thing ever to be playing a corporate party <laughs> like that. Cause it was like, yeah. you know, probably, I don't know, probably like you say a couple hundred people tops. Most of them had maybe knew whip it or maybe hadn't even heard of Devo ever. And then me, Brad Williams, super fan in a suit at this party. <laughs> Watching Devo play their their catalog. I mean, it was. I, I had a great time. I actually, I still have a. They handed out like signed 
um, you know, eight by ten black and whites is like duty now for the future of CDTV, and I'm like this is such a sellout. <laughs> it was such a sellout, but uh, it was fun. So I don't know if that really counts, but you know, that's the best I could do on short notice. That's good. That's very good. Hey, if you have a question for us, just email us at podcast at sits.com, and it helps if you put uh, PPTMN in the subject line. Ah, the theme song that indicates it must be time for I Want My Mystery TV theme song. This is our newest Seggy, isn't it? Or is it our uh, probably our newest Seggy? Yeah, probably. More or less. It feels kind of old now. We've been doing it for maybe a year. It's the newest regularly scheduled one. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So uh, we'll play a snippet of a TV theme song from the 80s. If you get it right, you're entered into the drawing for a Stuck in the 80s bottle opener. Yes, How are we indeed. doing on this, by the way? We all caught up. Oh, we- yeah. Oh, look. I, I got the system all set up. I've got all the stuff at my desk at work. The address comes in. I put it, you know, I have the stamps. I have the, the envelopes. I have all the stuff. I drop it off in the mailbox in the parking garage of my building on my way home. Wow. So they, they go out that day. I'm, I'm committed to timely delivery of that's swag of to deep. our dedicated listeners and our winners. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of detail. Um, anyway... <clears throat> From episode 521, here was the uh, mystery snippet. That's the theme to American Bandstand. Brad, you picked this one. Why'd you pick this one? Uh, yeah, I... I love American Bandstand. <laughs> I've been trying to figure out how to do an American Bandstand podcast. Like, how do we talk about it on the podcast? Because I think it was kind of an important show. I mean, before you had MTV, there was American Bandstand on Saturday mornings. And, you know, the jokes, you know, it had a good beat and you could dance to it. And, you know, the Raider record thing and the, the live performances. I mean, that was probably the first time a lot of us saw our favorite bands you know, I, I say play with air quotes. I didn't, at the time, I didn't realize they were all lip syncing. <laughs> now you go back <laughs> yeah. and you watch it. You're like, oh, my gosh, could they have been trying any less hard? They all just like they're bored out of their minds, faking their little keyboards and stuff. But right. I mean, it was an important show, I think. Well, the, the gimme, which I don't think I realized until decades later, was back in those days, it was so it was so normal to end a song by just letting it fade away. Right. At the end. And at, on American Bandstand, they would just do the same thing. It's just like the band decided to softly <laughs> stop gotta, playing. Like they're going to turn the amp down ever so slowly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We're done. Everybody applaud. So, so yeah. yeah. If anybody has a great idea on how to cover this program on, on an audio, uh, audio medium like podcasting, you let me know. Okay. Fair enough. In the meantime, why don't you read some of the winners? Okay. A lot of people got this. It's a fairly well-known uh, Barry Manilow song, actually. Winners this week include Stephen Ventura, Dave Dirt, Alan Titus, Becky the Rocker Pixie, Chuck Coverley, Chris Sinclair of Oregon, Jeff and Charity in Richlands, Virginia, Victoria Moore, Kevin Serving Wench, Anna Norcal, Alex Sticks, Cardoso Solis from Tijuana, Mexico, Dave Parrott, Anastasia in Colorado, Rock the Good Ag, Todd Cunningham, Dave in Oxford, Nate Chops Johnson, Jill C., Darren Myers, Spit Valve McGee, Janet JFK Knott in Louisiana, Tom Korn in Austria, Marie in Bradenton, Anonymous Dave, Steve Paulson, Patrick Gypsy Juggler Thompson, Peter in Montreal, and Bass Note, 
who writes, I do have to correct one mistake that was made. You got the wrong music video for 38 Special. The video where they dressed as detectives and were chasing a woman around was for the song Undercover Lover from the same album, Tour de, Far- Tour de Force. Oh, uh-huh. I, actually, I re- do remember that. Now that he says that. If I'd been the one, had a video that featured Julianne Phillips, a.k.a. the first Mrs. Springs- Bruce Springsteen, a burning barn, and a lot of horses running around. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Not trying to be a jerk. 99% of the time, you guys are spot on with your information. Well, thank you, Base Note, for the correction. As always, if you have corrections, please write them on a $100 bill and send them to Steve <laughs> at stuckinthe80s.com. That, I, rem- I remember spitballing that that day because I remember the day before I was watching all the the 38 special videos. Right? Uh, like I just got like in one of those YouTube tube right. holes, the just, rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And I was, and I think I even put a 38 special playlist on Spotify. So I was really just like completely immersed in it. Just like all jambled in my head. And there you go. Yeah. It's, I'm glad he actually mentioned that because I wanted to say something about the, another video for a, a song that we talked about on that show when we talked about the rick ocasek song something to grab for i had not watched the video because i know the album pretty well but i went back and watched it when we were doing our research and it's you know the song is about you know he's talking to this woman and the video there's this you know hot model girl getting ready for a date and he shows up and they're kind of you know he's kind of singing and she's getting herself ready and then when they walk out to leave he opens up the door to this Ferrari, puts her in the car, and the car drives off, and he's left there standing in the street. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, the ending is fantastic. He like, had a, they had a really kind of weird sense of humor when it came to their videos. Yeah, yeah. So that one, I, that, that moment at the end of it, I was like, well, I didn't see that coming. Okay, let's spin the wheel and find out who won the uh, bottle opener. <laughs> And it looks like it's going to land on Darren Myers. You are this week's winner. So uh, email us your postal address, and Brad will get right on sending you the bottle opener. Boom. In the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery TV theme song. If you know it, email us at podcast at sit80s.com. And tune in next week to find out if you're a winner. Hey, that's all we have time for this week. Uh, the battle over the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominations will obviously continue, but not on this podcast. Special thanks again to Lori Majewski for being on the show. Remember to listen to her on SiriusXM, Feedback, Channel 106. Also listen for Lust for Lists on First Wave, Channel 33. And don't forget to check out her book, Mad World, an oral history of new wave artists and songs that define the 80s. What a bucket list interview. Totally can't wait for the cruise. Uh, For now, Pat Benatar, Brad, and myself will remain here in the shadows of the night, but also hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Media Network. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or the CLNS Media mobile app.